going to turn your Bible this morning will be in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Numbers, chapter 21. Don't forget, if you don't have, um, by the way, this is Emerge Middle School. Any visitors or anybody new, if you have somebody in middle school, this is our middle school program. They have their own church service next door. They come here for the music. If you got anybody in middle school, boys or girls, um, they're welcome to get up and go with the middle school program. Brother Jason will be preaching a message over there this morning. Um, also, don't forget about play practice today if you didn't get your message. Um, I think all the crowds, everybody, well, it's the, the, um, the trial at 2 o'clock. I think the crucifixion at 3, and then you know, some more at 5 around the ascension, resurrection, those things. So if you make sure you check the schedule and be here for play practice throughout the day. Um, Numbers chapter 21. Let me ask you before, before I get started, how many of you in here? could say, God has done something for me in my life. I've seen God answer some prayers in my life. I've seen God do some miracles in my life. I've seen God show up when it seemed like it was going to be too late and do things when I thought I was ready to give up and God showed up out of nowhere. But God has done some things for me. In my life, when nobody else could and probably nobody else would, God showed up for me. How many of you can say, in spite of the fact of the great things that I've seen God do in my past, I need God to do something now. What he did yesterday was awesome, but I'm bogged down today. There's some things going on in my world, in my life. There's some situations going on. And I need God for, to, to show up in my life right now. Here in our text this morning, God's people have been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. God has come in and, and rescued them, taken them out of slavery, overthrown the Pharaoh, and carried them out. They have the Ten Commandments. They have the Levitical law. They've been carried over to the borders of the promised land. They were ready to go in. But in spite of all the great miracles that they saw God do over here. And they walked straight across the wilderness to the promised land. When they got there they doubted God's ability to do over here what he did over there. They doubted that God could show up again and do now what he did just 40 days ago. They doubted the power of God even though they knew. By their own testimony, even though they knew God had done things for them before, they doubted his power to do what they needed him to do right now. Here in our text, Numbers chapter 21, look at verse number 4, if you would. They journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. If you're one of those that highlights in your Bible or makes marks in your Bible or, or highlights on your phone, I want you to underline that word discouraged there in your Bible. The people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. God, I thank you so much for your presence, God. Lord, I thank you for what I feel in this place, God, and I pray that your sweet Holy Spirit would just settle down in this place, God, and be to every person in here what they need. God, I pray you do as only you can do. Would you speak to each individual in here according to their need, according to their desire, God? Will you speak to each heart individually, God? 
Lord, you help us to learn something about you, God. Lord, I pray today you'd move in this place, God. I pray that you'd save souls in this place today if there's anybody lost. God, I pray you'd mend some broken marriages today. God, I pray you'd touch some financial situations. And God, I pray you'd lift some burdens and break some chains, God. I pray that you'd move in a mighty way, God. Will you break loose the foothold that Satan has on some of us and the things that he's doing, God? I pray, God, may your power fill this place, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to bring a message this morning entitled, The Devil's Greatest Tool. Here in the book of Numbers, we're looking at a group of people who quite possibly have seen more miracles done on their behalf than any other group of people that has ever lived. Not only did they see God send all of the different plagues that he sent to Pharaoh, if all those things weren't enough, but he saw God come in. They, they saw how he came in and delivered them. They saw how their own children were spared alive on the night of the Passover, even though all of the children of Egypt died. They watched as God systematically took down the most powerful government in the world, the most powerful man in the world being the Pharaoh. They watched as God took him apart piece by piece, tore down his kingdom and forced him to let God's people go. They watched as the Red Sea parted, and then they, they walked across on dry land what just a few hours ago was an ocean. They watched as the Egyptian army came as the Pharaoh changed and hardened his heart and came and was going to kill them all. And they watched as how God put them in the Red Sea and destroyed the entire Egyptian army all at one time. But in spite of all that they've seen in the past few weeks, in spite of all the mighty things that they have seen God do, all they could focus on here in the text is the problem at hand. It caused them to doubt God's love for them. The, the text there says they became discouraged because they were discouraged in it. It caused them to doubt that God even cared about them anymore. It caused them to doubt God's ability. It caused them to forget everything that God had already done for them and get bogged down in today's problems so they murmured and they complained. Discouragement will cause you to murmur against your friends. Discouragement will cause you to murmur against your spouse, against your family, against the ones that you love the most. Discouragement will even cause you to murmur against God. Even in their doubt. Even in their doubt, for 40 years, God fed them every day. When they got up in the mornings, God had breakfast, lunch, and dinner already served. All they had to do was go out and get it. God had already prepared it. They couldn't get for tomorrow. They couldn't get more than they needed for today. But they could get all that they needed for today. All they had to do was go out and get it. The manna from heaven and out of their own mouth. They said, we hate this bread. God's gift, God's petition, God's gracious care given to them, God's provision handed for them. They didn't have to do any work. They didn't have to do anything. All they had to do was go out and get it. And they said, we hate this bread. Yes, help us, Lord. They were no different than the children of God today. Even in their rebellion, God took care of them. Even in their rebellion, God still led them. Even while they were murmuring and complaining, God was a cloud by day and a fire by night to give them light. 
even while they were complaining against the blessings of God, against the provisions of God, against the hand of God, against the deliverance of God, even in their complaint, God never left them. He was always there leading them. We all have a tendency to get bogged down in the problems of the day and forget the blessings from yesterday. Not just the blessings of yesterday, but the promise of the future. Here in our text, we see one of the greatest problems that they faced is they became discouraged. So they complained against Moses as though the problems were his fault. Moses was just God's appointed man. God put Moses out there as a leader. So for them to complain against Moses was the same thing as complaining against God. And they wanted to know why. Why did you bring us into this wilderness? Why did you bring us here? Why didn't you just leave us back there in Egypt? Why didn't you just leave us in bondage? Why didn't you leave us where we were? Why did you bring us to here? Well, I can answer that question because they asked him to. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. God brought them here because they asked him to get them out of there, and now they're here and they're complaining about where they are, even though God did what they've already asked him to do. But then we all have a tendency to forget what God did for us yesterday and get bogged down in the burdens of today. All too often we find ourselves walking in the same shoes as the children of Israel. Life's going along pretty good, so we begin to get complacent. Maybe our prayer life isn't as effective. Maybe our study habit isn't as good. Things are clicking along. There's not really any real problems, and things are going pretty good. And so we get complacent, but then the wheels begin to fall off. Something happens over here and something goes wrong over there and something gets upside down over here and somebody gets sideways over here. And before you know it, everything begins to turn around and we begin to get discouraged. Anybody ever been discouraged? I read something a couple weeks ago. I don't think I've shared it with you. I'm going to share it with you this morning. Um, I read it from Dr. Adrian Rogers. I don't recommend anything to you if I don't think it will help you, but if you don't get Dr. Adrian Rogers' daily devotion, um, men and women, it's a very good one to get. Robin and I was talking yesterday about discouragement and some stuff, and ironic enough, um, Girlfriends in God posted this exact same thing yesterday. They posted it from Dr. Adrian Rogers' post. How many of you ladies get the um, daily devotion, Girlfriends in God? Ladies, I'm going to give you some help. It'll help you. Just go on there, download Girlfriends in God, get it. Um, by the way, it'll let, let you learn a lot. For the December, the ladies' Christmas dinner, Gwen Smith, one of the authors in Girlfriends from God, that is our speaker for the ladies' Christmas dinner this year. Um, excited about having her here, but he'll get some help. They posted this same story. It says that the devil was having a sale on his tools. And somebody went there to the sale, and they went, and they, they said they had a high price on laziness. He had a high price on arrogance. He had a high price on hate and envy. He had high prices on things because those things are usable. They're very valuable to him. So he's not going to give them away, but he had those things for sale. They're very valuable to him. He had a high price on jealousy. He had a really high price on pride. But then he had an item over there that had a sign, and in bold letters it said, not for sale. Somebody went and asked him. They said, why is that one not for sale? 
The devil said, oh, I can't afford to get rid of that one. That's my chief tool. He said, with that tool, I can pry open the hearts of men. And once I get inside, I can do most anything I want. I can even cause them to doubt God. I can cause them to doubt that God loves them. I can cause them to doubt that God cares about them. I I can cause them to doubt that, that God even hears their prayers. I can cause them to hate the very life that God himself gave them. I call that tool discouragement. Discouragement can have a devastating effect on our lives as we we wander through this wilderness in our own promised land. That's where we are. We are in our wilderness. God has delivered us from the bondage of Egypt. He has delivered us from the bondage of sin. We have been brought out of sin's captivity, but we're not yet to the promised land. We are in our own wilderness right now, making our way through, and discouragement can show up most any time. All it takes to get discouraged is to momentarily get your eyes off God. Moses records this story here because it reveals some things to us. It reveals that discouragement has some reasons. There are some results, but there is a remedy. I want to look at those things this morning. Paul told us about it there in the New Testament, that these things were written for an example to you and I. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, all these things happened unto them for examples. Examples that they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So I want to take a few minutes, and I want to look here at the reason. I want to look at the result, and I want to look at the remedy of discouragement because there's not a person in here. There's not a person on live stream. There's not a person on a television program. There's not a person on the sound of my voice who is either not discouraged, has been discouraged, or will be discouraged. It's easy to forget where we were when the devil came and delivered us out of the captivity of sin. It's easy to forget that we were on our way to hell when God stepped in and forgave us and cleaned us up and gave us a brand new eternity, gave us a brand new life, a brand new home. It's easy to forget the blessings that God has given us back in our past. It's easy to forget where we came from and where we're going. When we do, we begin to develop eyes that are focused only on the now. Things going on around us have a way of demanding our immediate attention. Anybody said amen. The things happening each and every day have a way of demanding our immediate attention. If we're not careful, we get caught up in the right here and the right now. We get caught up in the whirlwind of life and the whirlwind of the day and all those things pulling. And and before you know it, if we're not careful, all those things grab all of our attention and we become discouraged. That's the reason. But there's a result for discouragement. The children of Israel here in our text, they, they became discouraged because of their immediate situation. It boils down to two things. They didn't like the way they were being led. They didn't like the way they were being fed. God was the one that was leading them. And God was the one that was a cloud by day and a fire by night. And God was the one that was there. God was the one that was showing the way, but they began to complain. They complained against Moses as though it was his fault. Had to be his. But when they complained against Moses, that was the same as complaining against God. But the Bible says that they even complained against God himself. They complained against the leadership. Not only did they complain, they didn't like the way they were being led, but they didn't like the way they were being fed. They hated the bread of heaven. The manna was God's gracious gift. It was the bread of heaven. Look, let me just put this in our, instead of saying them, let me just say us. It was what God gave us. We didn't ask for it. We just needed some provisions. 
It is what God supplies us every day. God just woke you up this morning just because. God brought us here in a car this morning. God put a roof over our head. God didn't let none of us have to sit out in that storm at 4 o'clock this morning. God just did stuff just because. We're breathing right now just because. Food, breakfast this morning, just because. God blessed us just because he loves us, just because he chooses to, just because he wants to. God put manna on the ground just because. And they didn't like it. They wanted to complain against what God was doing. But the reason why is because they were discouraged. And the reason they were discouraged is because they were looking at the problem instead of what God was doing for them. This manna fell fresh every day, fresh and anew. It was there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They couldn't get more for tomorrow, but they could get all they wanted for today. It is a picture of Jesus Christ and the New Testament child of God. Jesus Christ is everything we need. When you get up in the morning, you can't get nothing for tomorrow, but you can get all you need for today. He is the bread of life. He'll give us everything to sustain every situation for each day. Discouragement when left to fester can have devastating effects. So what we see here is that God's children forgot the blessings and they complained against God. Sometimes when that happens, God will discipline us for our own good. If you go back to your text there in Numbers chapter 21, you look at the next verse in verse number 6. It says that the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people. Much people of Israel died. It may seem a little bit harsh that God would send snakes to bite people But there's a lesson in it here for all of us this morning. The serpent is a picture of Satan, and the bite is a picture of sin. The serpent comes slithering into my life and yours every day, just like he did a few thousand years ago back in the garden. He ain't stopped slithering, and he ain't stopped biting. Our text says that it was a fiery serpent. It caused burning in the bite. It caused much pain and suffering and caused every cell in their body to burn like fire. There there was intense pain from it. Many people, it says, even died from the bite. It's no different than the bite for you and I today. The bite's called sin. People get caught up in sin. Sin looks enjoyable. Some sin looks pleasurable and it takes our eyes off God and we begin to focus on that but before you know it you're caught up in the sin but can I tell you it may be pleasurable for a season but the bite's coming sin has its price James chapter 1 verse 14 says every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed then when lust hath conceived it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death sin is not without its punishments Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Sin always has its consequences. And the consequences are always painful. And quite often deadly. You've heard it a lot of times, but that's a good place to tell tell you again, just to make sure you don't forget it. That sin will always take you further than you were willing to go. Keep you longer than you were willing to stay. And cost you more than you were ever willing to pay. Sin has its consequences. You can control your choices. But you can't control the consequences. One of the things that the devil benefits from greatly is ignorance. Ignorance is simply the lack of knowledge. It's it's the lack of knowing something. When we don't know things, we don't pay attention to learn things, then if we're ignorant to something, then we become an easy prey for the devil. So knowledge is a key. If we know that there's a reason for discouragement and a remedy, we we know that there's results, then, then what would be the remedy? 
Well, our text goes on right there in verse number 7. If you're still there in your Bibles, number chapter 21. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. That's a confession. Pray unto the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. That's a prayer request. Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. That's the answer to their prayer. He says it. It shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, the remedy may have sounded strange in man's eyes, but it was God's remedy. It was God's only remedy. It wasn't one of the memories, or one of the remedies. It was God's remedy, the only remedy. It was God's sure remedy. He said anybody that looks upon that serpent of brass on the pole, anybody that looks upon it were healed. It was God's sufficient remedy. It didn't matter where they were bitten. It didn't even matter how many times they were bitten. It was sufficient for the healing. Notice it didn't stop them from being bitten. Anybody get that? It didn't take away the serpents. It didn't take away the bite. It didn't take away the sting. But it did give healing when they went and followed the instructions of God. It was God's sufficient remedy. But it was a sustaining remedy. It never failed. It didn't get them well for a few days. It was forever. God took it away. After the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus. He was talking to two men. And, and he told them a story. And the Bible says in Luke 24, verse 27, that beginning at Moses. So that's back here where we are. As he walked on the road to Emmaus, Jesus Christ himself says that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures things concerning himself. John chapter 3. Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, one of the religious elite, one of the religious leaders in the day of Christ. And he said in John chapter 3 and verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. He's talking about the same story that we're looking at right now. And he says, just like that happened, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent his Son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus being lifted up, hanged on a tree, crucified. That might seem like a strange remedy in man's eyes, but it was God's remedy. It wasn't one of the remedies. It is the only remedy. It is God's sure remedy. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is God's sufficient remedy. It doesn't matter what your sin is. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your failure is. It doesn't matter when you sin, where you sin, or how many times you sin. The, the price is sufficient because it's God's remedy. God has provided a remedy for death, a remedy for sin, a, a remedy for our failures. Uh -huh. Nobody has ever looked to the remedy and been rejected or denied. Nobody has ever looked to the remedy of Jesus Christ and been turned away. 
If the devil can get you discouraged, he can cause you to forget that you have a remedy in Jesus Christ. He can cause you to forget that you were on your way to hell. And Jesus came to where you were in, in your sorrow, in your mess. Jesus came to where you were. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The devil can get you discouraged. He can cause you to forget some things. He can cause you to forget that old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And there's a home waiting for us in glory. And that everything that happens on this day forward, God is leading, guiding, and directing us. And has his hand upon us and making provisions for us. But discouragement causes us to forget some things. Discouragement can cause us to forget how bad things were in your life before God came to where you were and pulled you out of the sin and pulled you out of the situation. It causes us to forget where God has brought us from and where God has taken us to. God came into our Egypt and he made a way. He's already brought us out of the slavery of sin. He came in there and he made a way in between our Egypt and our eternity. Made a way in the wilderness for us. We're walking in the wilderness today. We're no longer slaves to sin. But we've not yet entered the promised land. We're just pilgrims passing through. But we're walking through this wilderness. And in the wilderness, we face discouragements. I, I, don't, I don't want you to raise your hand right here. I want to ask you a question. But I don't want you to raise your hand. I just want to ask you. How many of you have ever said, if God is with me, if God loves me, if God is hearing my prayer, if God cares about me at all, if God is with me, then why is this happening to me? I got a feeling if I had you raise your hands, there'd be a whole lot of us. Do you know... That even Gideon asked the exact same question. Judges chapter 6 verse 13. Gideon said unto him, oh my Lord. If the Lord be with us. Why then is all this befallen us? Look at this last part. And where be all his miracles. Which our fathers told us of. In times of trouble. It's not unusual for some well-meaning somebody. To, to come by, and, and they're, they're well-meaning in it. They have no evil intentions, but in times of discouragement, it's not uncommon for somebody meaning well to come by and say, the Lord is with you. The Lord will see you through. The Lord will, the Lord will be with you. Just, just don't forget, the Lord is with you. That's easy for them to say. They're not the one that just lost a job. Yes, sir. They're not the one that their husband just walked out and left them there with the kids. Yes, sir. They're not the one that their wife left for another man down there at the office. Yes, sir. They're not the one that's upside down in their finances about to lose their home. They're not the one that their wayward teenagers out there living in the world and doing the things of the world and then they're dying for. They're, they're not the one that's sick and facing uncertain days and don't know if God's going to show up and heal it or not. 
They're not the one that just lost a loved one. They're not the one that's going through all the things. You don't have to look very far to find broken hearts and broken lives and broken homes and broken situations. They're all around us. Bills that can't be paid. Relationships falling apart. Businesses failing. Single moms trying to hold things together for their family. There are a lot of people today who ask the same question that Gideon asked. Lord, if you really are with me, where are you? Why am I going through all this? Why is this happening to me? What did I do, God? Where are you? I need you now. It's called discouragement. Discouragement leads us to ask why. Discouragement strikes fear into our heart because it causes us to doubt, is God going to show up or not? Discouragement has a paralyzing effect on us. It makes us scared of anything because we just don't know if God's going to be there this time. Discouragement causes us to say, I quit. I can't take it anymore. God, you said you'd never put more on me than I can take, but, but you did. I have to disagree. I can't take it anymore. I'm, I'm done. I, I just quit. It is discouragement that causes us to focus on the problem and get so focused on the problem that we forget about the God that's already solved problems as big as this one, solved things in our past, has already solved the problem of our future, which is the greatest problem we ever face, that God is big enough and he's already done it. But discouragement causes us to focus on what's happening right now and forget about how good God is. Once we get our eyes back on Jesus, it's the only way we can move past discouragement. Let me share this with you, and I'm done. I, I, pray, I pray that this will help somebody this morning. I pray it's a blessing to somebody this morning. I don't know. Maybe it's television. Maybe it's not in here. But I can't help but believe that, that somebody is drowning in this life. Somebody is drowning in their problems. Somebody's drowning in their situation. There's marriages drowning. There's financial situations drowning. There's health failing, and people feel like they are drowning in this life. How many of you ever, you go to the beach and you see them training lifeguards? You ever see those guys in training? If you get down there early in the morning, you watch, and as far as you can see, you see them come running the beach. They have on their red suits, and they run, and they go on and out of sight. 20, 30 minutes later, here they come running back by, still running, all the way back down. A little bit later on, you look, and you see some splashing out there in the water way out, and you can't figure out, and you finally find there's swimmers, and it's them. And they swim, and it takes them forever to get by. They swim all the way down out of sight. And you know, I would have drowned back there in about 100 yards. About 30 minutes later, you don't forget it even happened. Here they come swimming back. You're like, holy smoke, man. How long can those guys swim? They're in training. They're in training to be a lifeguard. they got to get in shape. But here's, here's something that they're taught in their training. They're taught that if they're up on their lifeguard stool, up on their, their, their pedestal they're on, and they look out in the ocean and they see somebody drowning, they see somebody in need of help, they see somebody well in the arms in trouble, they are to get off that stand and run as fast as they can through the water and get to that person as fast as they can get there and get within an arm's reach where they can touch them, but where they can almost touch them, but do not touch them. Get within an arm's reach, just, just out of reach, where they can't, can't, can't quite grab you. But if their arms are still wailing, if they're still hollering, and they're still kicking, don't get so close that you can touch them because in their frantic and in their fears, they might pull you and them both down. Yes, 
Wait until they're tired. Wait until their arms start getting weak. Wait until their strength starts failing. Wait until they have nothing left to fight with. Wait until they come to the end of themselves. And they realize I've tried everything I can to get out of this. I've done all I know how to do. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm ready to quit. I'm going to drown. This is the end of my life. I'm wild. I can't make it any further. And at that point, the lifeguard is to come up behind them, put his arm around them, and take them back to safety. Sometimes. We're drowning in our situations. We're drowning in the things that life is bringing, the burdens that come in. And and we're frantically doing everything we can, working extra jobs for money or doing anything we can to try to get some help any way we can. And we're we're frantically fighting, trying to, to take care of this ourselves. And we know that God is just an arm's reach away. He's just a prayer away. He's right there. I know he hears me. Why isn't he helping me? Sometimes God has got to wait for us to get to the end of ourselves. Sometimes if God lets you fight your way out of it, you'll think you did something. Sometimes if God lets you get yourself out of it, you'll go away thinking how good you did. And you might not realize how good God was to you. But when God lets you come to the end of yourself, where you have nothing left, you have no money left, you have no pride left, you have nothing left in you to fight with, and God shows up, puts his arm around you, and pulls you back to safety, that's when you know that God can be there any time and every time. Let, let, me, let me do something real quick. If, if Everybody just bow your head. I, I want every head bowed, every eye closed, you would. I just want you to think, okay? Just, just think. Listen to me for a minute. Eyes closed. You, you don't, even, don't, even, don't even raise your hands here. This is just a question I want you to listen to. How many of you have ever been discouraged? Or how many of you are in a season of discouragement now? Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you're... Upside down, you're discouraged. You have no idea how you're going to get out of this. Maybe, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe things are rough at home. You want to fix it. You want to be happy. You want your spouse to be happy. You want the two of you to be happy together. You, you want it, but you're discouraged. You don't see any way to fix it. Maybe it's your children. Maybe you've prayed and took them to church and did things growing up, but now they're out there in the world. Living in the world won't have anything to do with the things of God. Maybe you're even discouraged looking back on the things in your past. Maybe you you look back and say, God, it's my fault. I didn't go to church enough when they were young. I didn't read their Bible to them enough when they were young. I didn't let them see me reading my Bible. I didn't let them see me pray. Maybe the devil is even using it to discourage you and tell you it's your fault that you didn't do enough. And now you think it's too late. They're out there living in the world, and you think there's no way to get them back. Maybe you've already filled out divorce papers, and you're just waiting on it to go through and you think it's too late but nothing is too late when you're willing to look upon God's solution God said any man that looks up Jesus said as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up and if I be lifted up in chapter 12 from the earth I will draw all men unto me in our example that the Lord gives us here in the text in the Bible it says that whoever looks upon God's solution shall live God has provided the answer I have no idea what you might be discouraged about today. I have no idea what you're going through, but the answer is the same. I wonder this morning if people would be willing to bring some discouragement to the altar and hand it to God and leave it and ask for some help. Discouragement is the devil's greatest tool, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 
greater is the one that's in me than the discouragement because our God is greater. Can I have you stand? Go ahead and stand on your feet this morning. Can, can I tell you something while you stand? Let, I, I want to point out. I want to point out something. Altar's always open here. You, you're welcome to come. But, but I, want, I want you to listen as you come and to pray. That thing that is bogging you down, that thing that is burdening you, that thing that you feel like is destroying your life, that thing, it's your finances, it's, it's your husband or wife, maybe it's your children, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your job, maybe it's the lack of a job. I don't know what it is. But that thing that is bugging you in your life, that thing is not your enemy. Your husband, your wife is not your enemy. Your children, your parents is not your enemy. Money is not your enemy. That thing that's burdening you is not the enemy. The devil is your enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness from high places. It's the devil that's putting all that stuff on you. It's the devil that's causing problems in your marriage. It's not your husband or wife. It's the devil doing it in them. It's the devil doing it through them. It's not the money that's causing you a problem. It's the devil using it in you. I'm telling you, the things going on in your world, those aren't the things that are your enemy. The devil is the one. And you can't win that fight without God. You can't win it without the Lord intervening. You can't win it without God showing up. Listen, you can fight and rail all you want to. You can deny the altar all you want to. You can delay praying all you want to. You can put it off and think I got a handle on it all you want to. But sooner or later, you're going to wind up on your knees. Sooner or later, God's going to let you go far enough. Sooner or later, you're going to realize that you cannot do it on your own. That the devil is stronger than you. The devil is greater than you. And the only thing you have that can overcome him is the Lord himself. Our God is greater. But you got to have him. It's so easy. It's so easy to get caught up in the moment. To get caught up in the time. To get caught up in the problem. And the problem becomes tunnel vision. It becomes our focus. We can't get our eyes off of it. This is the problem. This is the problem. We wake up thinking about the problem in the middle of the night. We go to bed at night and we can't sleep, thinking about the problem. We go all day. Every time we talk to somebody, we're talking about our problem. How am I going to fix it? How am I going to get out? We're calling counselors. We're talking to bankers. We're doing anything we can. How am I going to get out of it? Stop all that. Do your first talking on your knees in the morning. And do your first listening in the morning. Read God's Word. See what He has to say. Ask God to lead your day. It's not a fight we can win on our own. The children of Israel here in our text had been given every blessing of God. God had done miracles that will blow your mind beyond imagination. Even turned all the rivers to blood. And they doubted his ability because they didn't get it their way. If I could, while you're praying, heads are bowed. Eyes are closed, and, and many of you praying where you're at. That's all well and good. But I want to ask you, is anybody here this morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, would you be willing to change that today? Listen, if you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that is God's remedy. That is God's only remedy. That is the only remedy available. 
That is God's sure remedy. You trust Jesus Christ, it is God's sure remedy. It is God's sufficient remedy. It is sufficient to wash away every sin that you ever have committed or ever will commit. Do you know how many of your sins Jesus died for? All of them. But do you know not just the ones that you've already committed? Jesus died. He knew your sins before you ever sinned. And he already knows the sins that you're going to do in your future. And he loves us anyway. Jesus is the sufficient remedy that God gave us. Are you willing to trust him this morning as your personal Lord and Savior? Are you willing to pray and say, Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart. Lord, I confess my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I just need to be saved. I'm asking you to come into my heart and save my soul in Jesus' name. It's not a magic prayer. It's up to you to surrender your heart to Christ. It's not the magic in the words of the prayer. It's your heart. That thing that's tugging on your heart, that thing that's telling you you need to be saved, that thing that's telling you to pray a prayer, that's the Holy Spirit that I asked to intervene in here earlier and speak to everybody in this place. That's Him speaking to you and telling you that you yourself need to be saved. Lord, I'm a sinner. Will you come into my heart? Forgive me of my sins. Save my soul. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I won't point you out. I won't come to you, but I want to pray with you. And I want to pray for you. If you said that prayer this morning, you raise your hand right where you're at and hold it high. People standing, it takes me a minute. Look around, hold them up.